for club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it all right welcome everybody this is the reality czars podcast and we're your hosts tonight nate and tony hello uh we got a really fun guest on uh this has been a friend of mine that we've been internet friends for a while his name is Jacob. Jacob, do you want to introduce yourself and tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me on. So my name is uh, Jacob on the internet. I'm usually known as Jacob Daniel because I'm uh, I'm one of those evil people that uses two first names. <laughs> um, uh, so I run a podcast called Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy. Um, so uh you can find that if you if you want to check it out i do i do a lot of podcasting on christian anarchism and just kind of like anarchism and philosophy in general uh austrian economics and stuff like that um i'm also a state organizer for the libertarian party mises caucus um and i run a podcast over there called take human action pa um and other than that um yeah that's pretty much it well, cool, man. This has been a long time coming. I've meant to have you on, like, I don't know, ages ago. Uh, you are also a fellow Christian anarchist as well, so I think that's where we met each other on the, the anarcho-Christian Facebooks and stuff like that. Uh, so, and then I guess we want to talk to you a little bit about the Mises Caucus and things, because we've had a couple Mises Caucus guys on here. I was going to give you the chance to give us the fucking... To, you know, sell us on the Mises Caucus and why it's important and why we should do that and why that's a good avenue for liberty. And but I mean, we can talk about whatever. So we're <laughs> yeah, open. well, no, it's so one of my jobs as a state organizer of the Mises Caucus is onboarding, and it, it's funny enough. Like yesterday, I literally did an on- onboarding call. So I'm I'm as a like. you know ready and fresh as as ever i could be to give that pitch because i literally like gave it to a group of people yesterday (laughs) over here in my state so yeah so um i'll give the generic pitch first i'm sure later we'll we'll probably get into more of the nuances about like you know because i know there's certain caveats or concerns uh for people such as us uh, such as us who are christian anarchists um so we will probably get into that a bit later but uh, basically, to sum it up, the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus um, exists to make the Libertarian Party libertarian again, just to put it very, very bluntly and succinctly. Um, the Libertarian Party uh, was founded on some pretty decent principles. It was actually founded as a coalition between anarchists and minarchists to say, hey, listen, we, we disagree on the end conclusion, but our journey is the same. It's just the anarchists, you know, the, the minarchists get off a stop before the anarchists do. And so they decided to uh, form a coalition known as, the, known as the Libertarian Party to basically be an anti-political party and to wage war against the omnipotent cult of the state. Um, but over the years, the Libertarian Party has lost its way and uh, we want to change that. We think that first and foremost, the Libertarian Party um, should be libertarian, which, you know, 
is uh, <laughs> you wouldn't think that would have to be something that's spelled out and explained, but I'm sure uh, the two of you noticed over the last 18 months, especially that there's too many people out there running around calling themselves libertarians <clears throat> who were shilling for the COVID regime, shilling for lockdowns and COVID mandates and, uh, and uh, not enough of them actually who are bold enough and principled enough to just, you know, be honest about uh, the overreach that of, of government power that was happening. So uh, there's a lot of people in the LP uh, in, in the past and current who uh, care more about trying to uh, put some kind of veneer of respectability to the party to, you know, be, be some kind of entity that is just like another option that uh, just, you know, it's like, well, there's Republicans and there's Democrats and there's Libertarians and we're all just peas of a pod and we're just trying to present the voters a third option. And um, we think that is uh, not sufficient. Uh, the, the evil that the state presents uh, needs to be confronted more directly. And if there's going to be a party that uses the name Libertarian, it should damn well represent what Libertarianism is. And we're talking about, you know, it's named after Ludwig von Mises, the founder of the Austrian School of Economics, who was then, you know, later uh, followed up by Murray Rothbard, uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe, um, Lou, Lou Rockwell, Ron Paul. You know, all these guys kind of come out of this tradition. And, you know, that, that's that's the libertarianism that that the Mises caucus is trying to uh, get the Libertarian Party to promote. So there's a lot of. Uh, you know, details that go into that, you know, we have uh, planks that we uh, put out there in like our statement of purpose. And then we have a three pronged strategy for how we want to uh, combat the state. Um, but, you know, basically our first, uh, I guess like there's, there's, there's kind of two parts. One, our first, our first goal is sort of to make the Libertarian Party Libertarian again. After that, we want to use the Libertarian Party to implement a strategy of decentralization and nullification at the local level, while also using the party as a, uh, I, I guess, like a, uh, a soapbox, basically, to, to use the political system to get uh, libertarians and anarchists out in front of the people who are paying attention to the political system and to promote the message of liberty. Um, so I guess that's a, a summary, you know, and we can go into more detail as the conversation goes along, but, uh, I guess that's a good starting, uh, opening explanation. Yeah, man, I like it. And I think it's important. Um, I used to sort of be on board with, uh, with the Libertarian Party. I even went to, um, a couple of my own state meetups. It was pretty sad. Uh, we couldn't make quorum, which was a lot of fun. And every single person that I met was autisticer than the next. It was pretty interesting. Um, and then I kind of got turned on to volunteerism and that was a few years ago. And so then I went full autistic and, uh, was like one of those people that were like, I'm not even going to fucking vote against a fucking tax that's proposed because that would be violent of me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you know, I, I've been there too, and I'm sympathetic to that position. Um, you know, I, I, you probably remember I've had a lot of clashes with our uh, mutual friend, Craig uh, Hargis, over the, uh, you know, 
voting and the legitimacy of political action. You know, I mean, as a Christian anarchist, I lean towards pacifism and believing that it's, uh, you know, wrong to use violence. And I'm not even, you know, I'm not against self-defense, but I do. I also believe that Jesus told us to turn the other cheek. And there's a lot of wisdom in in that. Uh, Sometimes even if you have the right to defend yourself, you can often be better off not doing so. Uh, more good can come out of that in many instances, but, um, but uh, you know that that works at the individual level. When you have a giant, you know, uh, demonic, satanic beast like the state that we're dealing with, um, you know, like Jesus didn't turn the other cheek to the demons possessing. Uh, well, I forget the name of the dude, but you know, he cast. He like, you know what I mean? Like, it's okay to combat the forces of evil. Obviously, the way we do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I don't well, know. I'm I'm not sold on that argument, but I I still, frankly, I I still philosophically think that the voluntarists are right. I'm just willing to break those principles. I'm just I've come well, to the I mean, point I'm where not- I'm like. You know who broke my head was actually listening to Matt Erickson on uh, on uh, Pete Quinona's show. That when he the first one that he had on there when he was just like libertarians would rather live in Ancapistan in their fucking head and do nothing, and just well, as I long think- as their fucking principles are in in standing, you know. And I was like, God damn it, he's right. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I so I actually have some disagreements with Matt, but I don't think he's. I don't think him and Pete are wrong there. You know, I mean, I think we have to distinguish between praxis and philosophy. You know what I mean? Like philosophically speaking, I am an anarchist. I am a voluntarist, but um, we don't have that right now. And even if I wasn't to vote, we, you know, it's like I'm. we still have to interact with the state in many areas of our lives. I mean, I guess you could try to go full-blown agorism and go live in a cabin in the woods or you know but it's it's hard they make it really hard to avoid dealing with them and interacting with them um well the whole thing about agorists like i would like to live in a cabin in the wood but that's not exactly what we're fucking saying either i mean because that's typically the that's the direction that i've gone i've had the i've had the libertarians guys on, I've had the voluntarists on, I've had the post libertarians on it. I've had the agorists on. And I think agorism for me personally is the answer. But uh, as far as that goes, it's just like, to me, every single law, every single new mandate, every single new uh, tyranny that they try to crack down is an opportunity to an agorist. Oh, for sure. And, and it's a lot of, I'm a big fan of agorism. And, you know, for, for me, I'm not, uh, I think one of the like autistic mistakes a lot of libertarians and anarchists make is that we think that we have to pick one strategy. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, you know, these things are tools. You know what I mean? Like there's, a, and I want to have a lot of different tools in my toolbox because different situations require different tools. Agorism mm-hmm. and counter economics and noncompliance are are really great means for combating the state in a lot of areas. But there's a lot of other areas where it's just not going to cut it, in my opinion. Like, I don't see how agorism is going to end end the wars or get people out of jail for, uh, you know, for for having, like, you know, uh, the amount of people that we have in our prison system here in America is just ridiculous. People who are, you know, arrested for nonviolent crimes, you know, primarily related to the war on drugs. And it's like, you know, agorism is great for, uh, you know, kind of like 
creating more liberty in your life and uh, mm-hmm. finding ways to not engage in the state and and stuff like that. But uh, for the people who were already victimized by the state, um, agorism isn't necessarily going to do them a whole lot of good. So I mean, unless um, we can use agorism to sneak stuff into the prison and to, you know what I mean? There's, there's just things that you can do, but I agree with you that agorism is to me, it's just, it's, um, it is a, uh, hmm. Uh, I had it on the tip of my tongue. I'm kind of retarded and I kind of screw up my podcast. A strategy. There you go. To me, agorism is, is, it is a strategy. And uh, so like maybe our goal, our goal is Ancapistan. Um, what we philosophically believe in is voluntarism, but our strategy to get there can be agorism and praxism, praxism or whatever the fuck they call it. Praxeology. Well, yeah. so, right. Here's a, and, so there's oh, an analogy it. I use. There's a, there's a good analogy I use a lot. Let's say, so like I live in Pennsylvania. And let's say I want to drive to Las Vegas. So I I, you know, I pull up Google Maps or, you know, MapQuest or I, I, whatever. And I and I, I set a route for, for me to get to Vegas. Now, there's no one exact route to get to Vegas. There's multiple ways. And there's some that are going to be slower than others, some that have toll roads, some that don't. But we can kind of objectively measure, okay, is the route I'm taking me taking getting me to Vegas at some point or not? And then is it the most efficient way? But while we can have, you know, good faith disagreement and debate about what is the best way to get there, no matter what, we're all starting from a place where we're not in Vegas. You know what I mean? So it's like I feel like for a lot of a lot of the arguments over strategy sometimes um, and the whole phrase don't live in Kapistan in your head is like I agree with that. And the way I analogize that is if your goal is to get to Las Vegas, you can't say that you have failed that your strategy has failed to get you to Vegas when you're like four hours into your trip. And you have to like, if our goal is to get to Ancapistan, we're, we're obviously starting from a position where we're not in An- Ancapistan. So no matter what, like we're going to, you know, if we, you know, until we get there, everything we're doing is going to, at some level, uh, I think be, be some sort of compromise or we're not going to move. You know what I mean? Like to, to we're not going to move, move or from the space. Occasionally, some people are going to be going the wrong direction, but yeah, <laughs> p- possibly because yeah, you know yeah, the, yeah. the 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 you know because the rules that operate in Ancapistan don't really work very well in the world that we currently find ourselves in. Now, I have some differences with the Praxians or the, the you know the post libertarians or the ones who want to go through the GOP route, and there's a reason why I prefer the LP and the Mises caucus route, because I do think it's important to have some kind of line in the sand as far as like, okay, I'm going to make compromises in trying to, you know, move in a direction that I want to move in, but there needs to be a line in the sand as far as where I think like, you know, this, I'll go up until this point, but if I go over that line, now I'm compromising my moral integrity. And I don't, I don't think, you know, especially as a Christian, I don't think we should sacrifice our moral integrity to try to get things so, done. Tell me I'm exactly okay. why you think that that's wrong. Cause I, I am just totally curious why you think that. 
Like what, what, what makes it too far? Like what's too far about it? Like what's the, what's the line that you think that it's crossed? Well, and it's not even so for you I mean, even I'm, personally, I'm, I guess I'm painting like, in broad brushes because there, there's some things that I wouldn't say are over the line about the things they say. But like, for example, I wouldn't advocate for, it's like, this is something I I'm, I'm actually going to have Andrew of popular Liberty on, uh, uh, later in November to talk about this. Um, him and I are like, you know, I, I agree with him up until a certain point. And like, so one disagreement is I don't think we should advocate for uh, any increases in taxation or really any taxation at all. The only time we should engage in legislation with taxation should be that like we're reducing it. But Andrew has proposed certain things to like implement taxes on on certain businesses if they uh if they do things that we don't like. And it's like that, that to me is, I don't want to play that. I don't want to play that statist game. It's like, that is, you know, yeah. Like, like to me, the, the Mises. I've listened to him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's a good analogy, actually. And I've talked about this on my podcast. I think, so you know how agorism is like counter economics. And it's like, it's almost like the black and gray markets. To me, the Mises caucus strategy is a counter political strategy. It's like, it's, it's politics, but it's counter politics because what we're doing is engaging in the political arena. But what we're not doing is we're not engaging in like statism. Like what we're, we're not trying to like nothing we're doing at any point is growing government power. Everything we're doing is always uh, shrinking government power. Um, and, and that's where it maybe it'd be useful to go into like the, the concepts of decentralization and nullification, because th- that is the praxis of the Mises caucus. And I think it's a superior praxis to what other people have suggested as far as um, now, to be fair, guys like Andrew at Popular Liberty and his GOP Mises caucus, uh, he actually wants to do the same thing. So in, in so far as you know, we, we have some natural alignment there. I just prefer to work within the LP and not the GOP because of, of different reasons that we can go into later. But I think that this, I think that our, our main practice should be decentralization and nullification. So I guess that was the devil's advocate. I was going to play with you is that like, generally when I listen to LP guys, they get triggered ish by the Republican Mises caucus they get upset because that that R is attached to it. It has that Republican right. name to it, right? And there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. But also, I mean, the champion that your guy, Dave Smith, is really trying to emulate is, is Ron Paul. Ron Paul. And Ron Paul ran as a yep. Republican. So that is the he devil's did. advocate someone's going to play, right? And he was very successful running as a Republican, more successful running as a Republican than he ever did at running as a guy for the LP. And so, right. and one might even say that he would never have been able to do what he was able to do if he had continued to run for the LP. And he oh, I, I had, agree. So yeah. I, I just, and now I do understand what you're saying as far as like maybe some of Andrew's tactics are something that you wouldn't want to do uh, because he is proposing things like uh, I, Again, I'm going to have him on, I think, pretty soon. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, his anti, the anti-tax, right? That's what he wants to to do instead yeah, of that, regular taxation. That actually, yeah, the, the anti-tax, I'm actually on board. Yeah, I'm actually on board with him on that. And um, that's also why I'm having him on is because as a, as a Mises Caucus state organizer, it's like, hey, let's work together on that. That's a common project yeah. we can have. Um, you know, part of the Mises Caucus strategy is also issue coalitions. 
which means that we'll partner with people, whether they're in the GOP or the Democrat Party or even the Green Party or different like, you know, special interest groups and lobbying groups. We'll we will form issue coalitions with anyone on common projects. And so um, I'm, I'm perfectly hap- happy and willing to work with them. And I, I, I do I do see a play like again, like going back to what I said earlier, um, it's good to have multiple tools. And so I can see the utility in having a GOP Mises caucus. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, my preference is to work within the LP, though, because I think, uh, yeah. I mean, two, two, twofold. One, it's not it, it's hurting the cause to have a libertarian party that is very unlibertarian. Like at the very least, the libertarian party should be espousing the philosophy correctly to the public. Um, well, to me even if that's all you guys did was like, you were literally just getting involved with the libertarian party just to clean house. I would think it was worth it because yeah, there was same. a whole lot yeah. of trash that needed to be fucking taken out. Yes, there was a 100%. lot of trash that needed to be taken out. Uh, but 100%. I just want to get this for, for our audience really fast. What you were talking about that your disagreement that you had with Andrew is he was talking about proposing if some, so what he, what, Basically, my understanding is this, right? They're talking about taking over small local government, like very, very, very small, like towns sometimes, like becoming a mayor or becoming a city council sort of thing and uh, passing legislation and trying to pass bills. And if somebody like a progressive activist or something or a business has like a progressive owner and is doing something to violate their new whatever they're trying to do to change to like bring about Liberty. He was talking about, okay, if they're going to do this, then we are going to tax the shit out of them <laughs> to try to, to try to change. Uh, to do, And I, I think he might be right. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing to try to, <laughs> to try to get people in line. Like if you're going to, if you're going to force like five-year-olds to wear masks or you're going to be like five-year-olds can't come in my restaurant unless they're vaccinated. I know that sounds fucked up, they're like okay, twenty five percent sales tax. Like I don't know. I, 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 I get, I get it because it'll get flipped on us. I get right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's that's my problem. Is um, you know, you you brought up Ron Paul. One of the things that Ron Paul was so great great for was that he bravely uh, called out the fact that nine eleven was not a result of the fact that a bunch of Muslims and Middle Eastern people hated America for our freedoms. They hated us because we had been playing uh, uh, regime change and occupying their their nations and dropping bombs on their uh, families for decades. And 9-11 was blowback for that. Uh, blowback is a thing, and it happened with 9-11, I think the culture wars are a bit of blowback for what Christians had had done through the state for really centuries. And my worry is, you know, now I'm, I'm, you know, pretty, pretty uh, far on the right, as far as, you know, the, the left right divide uh, can, I classify myself as a right leaning and cap basically um, I'm like hovering in the space between a full blown Hoppian and a Rothbardian, <laughs> like right, right in the middle there. Um, but as much as I, uh, am against the left, I also know, uh, kind of both from a political perspective and a Christian perspective that, uh, becoming too identified by 
what I oppose and focusing on punishing my enemies for the things that, that they do that I don't like is to me a very short-sighted strategy because it does bleed it does result in blowback in the long run. Any power you advocate for to use against your enemies will eventually be taken by your enemies and used against you. Um, okay. So that, that's absolutely. That's my concern. And I would say actually what Andrew is doing is him attempting to blow back. You know what I mean? Because we, yes. we've been hit so many fucking times and he's trying to be like, all right, their chin is open. I'm going to jab it. You know what I mean? And, and I get it. And I totally get why he wants to do that. And, and honestly, man, Look at how progressive this fucking shithole country has gotten. I, we might need to start getting more aggressive. I Maybe not. But how are they always winning? Well, you know I what I mean? They're, like, they're the squeaky so, goddamn wheel. And so they keep getting the grease. We got to start squeaking. I have my own theory <laughs> about why. My, my theory about why the left is winning is not because we aren't aggressive enough. It's because uh, we've lost our way. And the conservative... Uh, movement in America, the right, the, you know, the 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 right wing evangelicals, which I am very much a part of, um, we have become too defined by being reactionary, and we've forgotten what being conservative means, and we've forgotten what the church is supposed to be, and too many Christians are entangled with the state, uh, and and trying to, uh, you know, use the state to further their ends when that was never what Jesus taught us to do in the first place. So this is kind of bringing the Christian anarchist thing into it. You know, we're supposed to be the church. We're supposed to fight the culture through preaching the gospel, through serving the least of these, through, you know, what did Jesus tell us to do? Jesus taught, told us to be a servant, uh, to, to go out there. And when your enemies persecute you, to bless them and turn the other cheek. The problem is uh, conservatives have become... Uh, more defined by being against the left than they have been by being defined by by their own grassroots principles. And because of that, a lot of what has happened is kind of very much in, uh, it mirrors what happened to Israel many times in the Old Testament. Like whenever whenever the Israelites would turn away from God and they stopped serving God and instead started like, you know, serving their own agendas or uh, they focused more on their enemies. What happened? They they got taken over. <laughs> uh, they they became completely uh, subservient to to some foreign nation, and that's kind of what's happened to Christians in the West. Is that uh, you know we've become less focused on you know the Great Commission. We we've not been focused on going out there and. Uh, you know, what did Jesus tell us to do? He told us, you know, uh, up until now you have been, you know, uh, fishermen, you know, fishing for, for fish. And I will teach you to be fisher of men. And, uh, we haven't been doing that. We've, we've been too focused on, uh, you know, like, again, like, and things that like, it's not that I disagree with. So like, for example, uh, in my, in my opinion, the, the right wing in America has been too focused on abortion and gay marriage primarily for the last several decades. And it's like, listen, I'm some, uh, you know, uh, as a Christian, I do, I'm not saying I don't have any gray area or nuance or doubt, but I generally side on the 
belief that homosexuality is a sin and that marriage should be between a man and a woman. And I'm certainly against abortion. I think abortion is murder. But uh, A, there are other things going on in the world. B, we have to recognize the heart of what is behind the the rise in, you know, homosexuality, the rise in, you know, the the normalization of abortion. And C, the way we combat those things is not by legislative action. The way we combat mm-hmm. those things is by being light and salt to the earth. And um so that that's that's I think why we're losing is because uh we keep on trying to play like we're we're trying to play a game that we're not supposed to play. Um not to honk my own horn, but the after you get off this you should definitely listen to the last episode we put out. We actually had a progressive on that is a pro-life progressive. Her name is Kay. She's a really interesting girl. She grew up a very right-wing conservative Christian, then became a libertarian, and then fucking went, like, wherever she's at right now in this, like, in this progressive movement. But she's still a, uh, she's still very pro-life. And very much so her complaints about Christianity and about, like, right-wing and conservatism were so many different things that we had just talked about it just as far as like um to me where christians lose it man is like there is no community really in church anymore i mean there is and isn't like like when i read acts because when i when i read acts the christians sold their belongings and they they get, basically were fucking communally living and were taking care of one another. They were taking care of the poor. They were taking care of the widows. They were taking, like, there was an actual strong community and they took care of each other. And Christians just don't do that, man. Like, the the whole thing is like, like, we had that, that conversation where we were like, so there's a 13-year-old girl. She gets pregnant. She's scared. She's thinking, what are my options? I might just abort this baby. And what is, what is like the typical right-winger say? Well, don't kill that baby, bitch. Also, you should have had your legs closed. You know what I mean? It's like, what are we going to do practically? Like, what are we going to do for that girl right now? She's okay. Maybe she shouldn't have fucked her boyfriend. Got it. Okay. Um, now she's 13. She's scared. How do we take care of her? How do we take care of that baby? Like we're like, so much of it is like pro-life or pro-fetus, but what is, what about the child after it's born? How do we take care of that baby? Because also the right wing is very anti-welfare. Well, I agree. We, I don't want the state involved. So the church has kind of dropped that mantle as far as like we were supposed to take care of the, the orphans. We were supposed to take care of the poor. We were supposed to take care of that baby and her family, you know, and like then also you'll have like the the right wingers that are very like uh, and I get it. I fucking get it. Well, they'll say like, well, if we take care of that girl, we're incentivizing that behavior and we'll get more of it. Right. Or something like that. We're rewarding her for being a slut or something they'll say. Right. But also like, who is our King? Like, I, like to me, Christ would say, feed that fucking baby, shut your mouth, feed the baby. Um, like, I, I don't know. So we're like way off topic and we're not talking about the Mises caucus at all, but (laughs) I find all this shit fascinating. No, it's, it's all, it's all very interconnected and, and I agree. And it's like, I, I mean, like to, and to bring it back, it's like, 
like I, I agree with Andrew and Matt and Pete Quinones and, uh, and, and a lot of those Praxians on so much as far as like, yeah, I'm, I'm really against the left and we're all kind of fellow travelers fighting the same fight. But we can't we, we have to be able to trace the cause and, and effect going back correctly in order to properly diagnose the problem and to know how to solve it and to know what works and what doesn't work. And um, yeah, I, well, I it has think- to be that beginning. It has to be that cultural change that we create. Right. Yes, so it has 100%. to be starting with us because I mean, I think that's really what it is because like when we were, when I was talking to her, like, because she was a former libertarian, she was like, well, how, like, what would we do? as far as like healthcare goes, she goes like, that's one of the reasons why she went more progressive because she felt like every time a libertarian would just say free market, they would say like, (laughs) every time she would say like, okay, but there's so many different people. Like if we just took the bandaid off, right. If we just ripped it off and we said no more government healthcare, how would these poor people go to see a doctor? How many people would fall through the cracks? How many people would be hurt by this? And all, and she said, their only answer would be like, well, who's going to pay for it? The government shouldn't be involved, you know? And like, yes, who's going to pay for it? And the government shouldn't be involved. Also, yes, like is culturally right now are too many people dependent on government, right? Have we, be, have we become so weak because we're infantilized by government? And, it, and I think it's done purposefully to make us interdependent because they want us dependent so that we absolutely need them or feel like we need them. That way we're happy to give up a big portion of our income and we're happy to do what the fuck they say because we need them. Right. And so if we ripped off that bandaid today, it's going to fucking hurt. And there would be people that would like literally like the Murray Rothbard, would you press the button? Let's say we press the damn button. Government disappears. A lot of people are going to be fucking hurt in that chaos. Right. Um, so it is on us to create that lifeboat on the sink for the sinking ship that we're on. We need to create that free market healthcare, like in, in certain different ways that like people are trying to do that. Right. Like that's where they're trying to do like, uh, they're trying to do little co-ops or they're trying to do like, uh, what are those things that Christians do? Like where everybody buys healthcare together and things the like Christian that. Health, Christian health share ministries, which I, I actually yeah. am a part of one. And yeah, they're, they're super effective. So yeah, they're, they're trying to do little things ideas. like that. Yeah. And, and I think it is good that like churches try to do the, uh, the what's the opposite of Planned Parenthood. They do the, uh, <laughs> you know, the crisis, crisis pregnancy centers. Yeah. Pregnancy care or, centers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so. those are very yeah, important exactly. because you you need to have that you need to have that um well i had this conversation with carrie baldwin on my podcast like a year ago and i'm actually having her back on uh later this month too but uh carrie so carrie did a a, a debate with walter block on abortion at the soho forum mm-hmm. back in like that was 2019, a good one which was that was a good one and so i had her on to kind of discuss that um and uh yeah, it's like how for I want to get time, in touch with her. That... Actually, I want I want okay. her to talk to Kay. I really think that they have a lot. Like, I think that they are. I I think they need to meet, and I think they need to talk. We'll talk yeah, about I can that later. Talk to Sorry. you afterward. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. But um. 
you know, for for all of the money and all the time that Christians have put into trying to fight abortion through the Republican Party, through giving money to Republican candidates who say they're going to try to ban abortion, through protesting and all these different things. If all of that same energy and money was just put into putting a support system around these women, mm-hmm. how much more mm-hmm. like, cause like, what, what do we care about? Do we care about like, again, like, you know, <laughs> like, especially us, like we're Christian anarchists. So we get this, but it's like, what, what do we care about? Do we care about just making some power show that we've said, you know, we've explicitly banned you from doing this evil thing. And if you do this evil thing, there'll be, you know, state agents with guns who are going to punish you for it. Um, maybe you could even say, you know, the doctors or people, maybe they deserve it. I don't know. But it's like, at the end of the day, and some people confuse this with pragmatism, but I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't think it's pragmatism or I don't think it's utilitarianism. I think it's just like, what I care about is actually lowering the number of abortions. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's like, what's the most effective way to do that? And, you know, the, the, uh, put it this way, Spike Cohen said it best in my podcast uh, last month. He was like, I am I am just so sure that the, the same government that has epically failed on the war on drugs, the same government that's epically failed on the war on terrorism, it, uh, the same government that's epically failed on the war on poverty, I'm sure 100 percent they're going to get the war on abortion 100 percent spot on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. That I mean, anything they declare war on, we get a tenfold increase. So exactly, be the yeah. worst thing ever. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's like be the worst thing ever. Right. So um, yeah, um, yeah. That's definitely so, so, the conversation we had. We were just like, because because she was a libertarian. I was like, you know, libertarians at least have that right. Like on the nature of government they are like government in general is uh the monopoly on the use of force they are the gun in the room and so it's like if we use government to do that it's not like first of all it's just not going to do anything you have to change the culture you have to change the reason why these young girls are getting abortions you know what i mean like why you know so yeah 100 percent agree 100 percent and and so this is why oh go ahead uh, okay, like, do you see the Libertarian Party, or at least what you envision the Libertarian Party, like what you want to be? Like, do you see that, like, as a factor for creating that type of community? I feel like there's a point where Could it's, um, like, like, how do you create these structures? That's on a national yeah. level or even like on a state level. Well, that's that's one of the other great. So, I mean, obviously, you know, as a Christian, I want to see the church fill a lot of this role. But that doesn't mean the church is the only entity that can, you know, do anything to help. You know, we have a whole free market, you know, so I'm a Christian. I'm also, you know, a capitalist. I believe in uh, the the utility of free markets. And so uh, and I also believe that, you know, libertarians, we should be motivated to outcompete the state and to say, hey, you know what? Instead of, you know, one thing I like about Andrew is like his anti-tax, the way he phrases it. He's like, let's stop trying to ban taxation. Let's make taxation obsolete. And in the same way, you know, it's like, what if instead of trying to end the welfare state, we make welfare obsolete? 
You know what I mean? Like, what if, what if, what if Christians through the church and libertarians, maybe using the libertarian party as maybe like a, uh, like a lighthouse or a, you know, sort of like networking, um, um, agent, uh, can work together to produce, uh, you know, institutions and mechanisms that make the welfare state obsolete. I think that would be beautiful and it's definitely a goal worth pursuing. So you're talking to Andrew before I am, I'm sure. Uh, I have a question for him. So maybe pose this at him because he's very much, he's, he's saying that we'll make taxes obsolete by doing this anti-tax. What if that, what if that state government wants to do both? What if you're just incentivizing them to actually increase their taxes so that they have more money to play with so they can, you know what I mean? I don't know if this is going to be, because I understand what he's saying as far as like, okay, then we'll make our town more competitive by lowering the taxes. If we are getting rid of the taxes, then more people want to do business with us. But like the type of people that are in city government aren't the brightest to begin with. And they might not always do the thing that might, you know what I mean? I could just see them like this, just adding an extra fucking thing in their arsenal. And they might take this and then also tax on top of it. And then we're just making the government more money. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's easy to combat at the local level, but it, and I think even Andrew has said this gets more complicated when you push it to the state level. Um, yeah, and he's, he's working smart, on man. solutions Andrew, for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What and, I like and, about Andrew's, Andrew. Yeah. Oh, all I was going to say is what I like about Andrew is, uh, I mean, I, I, so far, I really like most of the post libertarian guys. I think a lot of them have some fantastic critiques. I don't always necessarily agree with their, I, their solutions. Like I, I see like some great big holes that they're pointing at. I'm like, damn, they're right. But like yeah. at least Andrew is trying to come up with some decent solutions. And like and that is what I find different about him as opposed to the rest of the Praxians or whatever. Like a lot of them are just bomb throwers, which I appreciate because like I love <laughs> it and it's funny and I and I dig it. But like he's also not just throwing bombs just to throw bombs. He's like strategically throwing them and he's also like also, he's building while he's throwing bombs, which is fascinating. Like, Andrew's a smart cat. I'm excited to talk to him. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with your analysis there. Um, but, you know, Andrew is also a big proponent of decentralization and nullification. And, you know, mm-hmm. those are those are, you know, it's like and not to not to take shots at Andrew, but like he's advocating for the, for, for these things, but he's kind of copying off our work a little bit because <laughs> the Mises, because the libertarian Mises caucus put those names out there first. Yeah. Well, he took your name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. It's like, you know, whatever, like, listen, if it, if, if Republicans elected to local office can, can get this shit done, uh, all the better. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, I, we're I, all stealing each other's done. homework, man. We all steal. I mean, we we all got these ideas from fucking Mises. We got these ideas from Rothbard. We got these ideas from Dave Smith was the first guy to red pill me. Like, I'm sure half of my fucking arguments that I have in my head are from Dave Smith himself. Right. Yeah. How many times are you doing a podcast and you're just like, shit, I'm just quoting Dave Smith right now. Like verbatim. Like I just, it's like if I believed in intellectual property, I would owe Dave Smith a lot of money. But uh, fortunately, IP is, uh, is a spook. (laughs) <laughs> i'm really excited like, for that uh sorry go ahead tony 
Well, um, you said you mentioned about some building coalitions. Is that happening? Like uh, any kind of coalitions happening right now that are exciting to you? Um, yeah. So we've we've partnered with um, uh, like Gun Owners of America. We've partnered with different drug decriminalization organizations. We've partnered um, with criminal justice reform organizations, and you know. We, we've at the, you know, the problem is like local politics isn't sexy. So it's like, you know, oh, we, we, pa it's like, it's like, you know, my, my long list of like success stories are like, oh, in this county, we got this ordinance passed that makes it so that, you know, police can't uh, do no knock raids or we got red flag laws nullified or we you know what i mean it's like it's it's i think it's cool stuff but it's just it, well, you're it's, talking it's, to it, autistic libertarians right now and to me that those little things are sexy as fuck i like yeah. the small little <laughs> stuff man that's yeah i mean you know so i mean um so like another example of of you know where we've formed coalitions is with other parties not just organizations like we've worked with uh the greens and and certain you know democratic uh democratic affiliates to get you know marijuana decriminalized and even mushrooms decriminalized um even in counties here in pennsylvania where i live we've we've also um you know we, we we've started to uh you know we've done a lot of like really big issue campaigns like we've we've bought domains and websites and ads and stuff to put out there uh resisting the covid mandates and all that and a lot of you know the, the problem is people don't realize that uh a lot of your local gop affiliates don't know what the fuck they're doing uh sorry if i, I don't know if i'm about to curse here or not but uh yeah, um, i curse yeah. too many times on here. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um just wanted to make sure but yeah they uh they, they have no idea what they're doing so gop affiliates have been reaching out to us going hey we like that you're against the lockdowns and the mandates what do we do <laughs> and so That's we're coming awesome. up with ideas to 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 combat it and you know it, it and really all it takes is you know nullification is a really powerful tool um you know like and i i don't know if you ever heard of the 10th amendment center and michael bolden um mm -hmm. and uh you know michael michael meharry uh, another christian anarchist podcaster uh he's the communications director over there uh but you know they they help us too with coming up with uh, legislation to introduce to to nullify state and federal laws that are, you know, immoral or unconstitutional. So, I mean, you know, to, to me, that's that's the real battleground as far as the political realm. And now there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of room where nullification is effective. There are some things where nullification is probably not going to be the best the best strat strategy and maybe agorism's a better you know like like nullification isn't going to end the fed you know what i mean we're not we're not going to be like the like as much as we're really like you know as austrian libertarians you know we talk about the fed and monetary policy a lot but uh there's not a whole lot at the local level you can do to combat the uh the fiat currency system that's where you know i think agorism and cryptocurrency are mm -hmm. are much more effective tools for combating that than uh than political action um 100%. but yeah so yeah, but you know it's just yeah. I, my, my, it's just you know as an as a christian and an anarchist i i abhor violence you know Mises really put it really well in his uh um in his in his like his writing on on true liberalism 
not the liberalism that you know the the left has hijacked and bastardized that word but 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 you know Mises defined actual liberalism as you know could be summed up by property and it was because property uh, and property rights are the foundation for social cooperation and for a true uh, peace and goodwill among men. And that's what we want. I, I don't want violence. And, um, you know, I would rather, you know, I, I want the state to go away because it's a giant institution of coercion and violence. But how do we get there? Well, I'm not a big fan of civil civil wars or revolution. One, because historically speaking, they don't work off, they don't usually work out in our favor there's there's more examples of revolutions ending in greater tyranny than in less tyranny i mean even the best examples like here in america well, i mean maybe early on that experiment looked to be promising but since then uh you know i'll start quoting spooner about the constitution and stuff if you if you if you let me i'm sure we're all familiar with that yeah. though you know but you know so it's like I don't want revolution. I don't want war because even though you might be able to say, well, self-defense is justified against the state because it's an agent of the beast and it's locking people up and it's dropping bombs on innocent people. And it's like, yeah, for sure. But I, you know, violence begets violence. Like what did Romans, Romans 12, Jesus, I mean, Paul says, and he's echoing Jesus when Jesus uh, gave the Sermon on the Mount he says, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And to me, the reason why I engage in the political realm is because I'm trying to find the most peaceful solutions to ending the state. and Or at least, like, even if we're not going to end the state in my lifetime, to reducing the violence that the state is committing against uh you know, the American population and, and the violence that the American government commits against uh, people even in other countries. It's like, I, I, I don't want to, you know, like, I, I don't want to sit on the sidelines and, and stand on my principles and go, well, I'm, you know, on my deathbed at 85 years old when I die of COVID, because that's all anyone dies of anymore. Um, I don't want to look back. That was a joke. I hope everyone got that. <laughs> I, I want to, I don't want to look back and go, Ah uh, man, you know, I, I'm I'm really happy that my whole life, although I didn't accomplish anything to reduce the scope and power and harm of the state, damn was I principled. <laughs> like yeah. it's not going to be a comfort to me. Whereas, like to me, it's like you know, um, yeah, is there something a little bit contradictory to engaging in politics while being an anarchist? I mean, maybe, but at the same time, it's like. Uh, again, I think we have to separate praxis from philosophy. Philosophically, I'm an anarchist. Uh, my praxis, though, I mean, you know, we, we have to combat the state with something. And, uh, you know, all, all we can do is look at our different options and weigh them and, uh, you know, pick pick the best tools for the job. So I'm going to make the agorist uh I'm going to make the agorist argument right now. What One of the things that you said that I found interesting is you were looking for the most peaceful solution that you could, right? Because you are a Christian, because you are a half pacifist, it's same here. Like, I agree with pacifism, yeah. but like, if somebody broke into my house, I'm going to shoot you in the head. Uh, just just saying. <laughs> uh, in Minecraft. I don't, in Minecraft. Um, this uh, podcast is for uh, entertainment purposes only. Um, <laughs> uh, but 
Uh, we had Sal on again uh, just a little bit ago. I haven't put that episode out yet. It's going to be it's a fascinating one. He was talking about so um, agorism. So uh, Samuel Konkin is obviously the father of agorism, but uh, his teacher, his uh, the other uh, father of agorism that I'd never even heard of this guy and I can't think of his name right now. He was a pacifist. And so like half of agorism is also pacifism. Like there's a big pacifist. Uh, th- so half of agorists are pacifists as well. Like there's a, there's a pacifism streak in agorism, which I had no idea. I'd never even heard of that. And he was telling me a little bit about it. And um, I was also hearing, um, I saw a clip online today. Do you know who the, the guy Swan is or the, you know how the hell this guy are? The Swan show. Do you know who the hell that guy is? Guy Swan. No, I don't know. I so anyway, I saw a clip. He was on, uh, I think he's on part of the problem um, on this episode. And he was just talking about, he goes, he goes, yes, we're not going to end the fed because like you were saying, we're not going to end the fed, like on the local level, anything that we're doing, any type of voting that we're going to do. Um, I saw this clip online today on uh, Twitter. Cause I fucking spent too much time on Twitter. I'll send it to you. But essentially, he says, he goes, what if you used your platform, Dave? What if you just told every single one of your audience members, he just said, look, we're not going to be able to end the Fed. But what if we just what if you convinced even half of your audience to just start buying and using Bitcoin? He goes, we could just stop using the Fed and then it wouldn't matter if we ended the Fed because then we just weren't using the Fed. It's this whole thing of him just like. What if we just walked away? What if we just like all of us together, as many libertarians as possible, we just started only trading and using cryptocurrency because if we'd be making these counter economies that we're always talking about, we could have some self-sufficiency because when this dollar bill, like we're watching this inflation happen, we're seeing this dollar crash, we're seeing prices skyrocket. He goes, if all of us just switched, if we just started using this we'd be okay. We, you know, and it's like, we're that, I thought that was fucking fascinating and really fucking cool. I'll send you that clip. Um, maybe someday I'm going to use what, what do you use? Like steamship? What do you call the, to record your videos? Oh, you're on mute, buddy. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, Streamyard uh, is Stream what Yard. I use. I'm going to start doing that so I can actually play clips so I can actually be a professional. Cause we're just fucking, yeah. <laughs> No, I got you. Um, so, I mean, there's there was a lot there. I, I'd like to respond to it quick. Um, it, to me, Dave does do that. I mean, one of Dave's sponsors is uh, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's it's some kind of service for buying and investing in cryptocurrency. And I mean, Dave talks about that all the time. And to me, there's like some of these criticisms. To me, are almost well, I like I don't think he was can... really criticizing him as much as saying like, "Hey, this is a cool idea." What if we focus more on this? That's what it sounded like. Not like you're doing I, something wrong. I, I guess, but but like yeah. here's the thing. It's like you can walk and chew bubblegum at the same time, right? And here's the beauty is that Dave does focus a good bit on monetary policy and cryptocurrency. But what he's trying to do through uh, like the, the, the idea is to him to run under the Libertarian Party uh, for president. The idea is like obviously he's not going to win. Um, like nobody, nobody thinks that. Um, but the idea is that he's going to be able to go on a national speaking tour and bring more people into the movement who are going to learn about monetary policy. And then that's more people investing in Bitcoin. 
So it's like, it's not an either or, it's a both and. And so, you know, you get more people engaging in both the counter political uh, activism and the counter economic activism. And both of those things together, you know, you start to hit a critical mass. And I always tell people, we don't, so some of the praxians and some of the uh, the critics of the Mises caucus or, or activism go, yeah, but we're never going to convince everybody to be hardcore, you know, anarcho-capitalists. And I'm like, I agree we're not, but we don't need to. To be honest, if we ever got to like 10%, like maybe 20%, but even I think 10%, of the population was actively non-complying, actively investing in Bitcoin, actively, you know, you got to think, that 10% hardcore anarcho-capitalists, then we're going to have probably another at least 10 to 20% who we've influenced into, well, okay, we're not anarchists, but we certainly agree with you that we need to decentralize and we don't need this giant, you know, monolithic government that rules over 330 million people, you know, what we should have instead is, you know, a bunch of small, you know, tiny governments to replace that, which is, hey, that's a lot better than what we have now. It's like all statism is slavery. But, uh, you know, if I had a choice between uh, working on a plantation where I get my own space and I am allowed to to come and go and, and whatnot, or a plantation where I'm 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 forced into a room with a hundred other slaves and we're whipped and we're you know basically you know starved the entire time we're there. I'm I'm allowed to make judgment calls about like which slave master would would suck less, <laughs> and and so you know that's why it's like even though I'm an anarchist, it's like hey, give me minarchy if that's the best we can get. You know, because I also don't want to engage in the Nirvana fallacy. It's like we might not ever get to Ankapistan, and I don't want to. I don't want to make perfect the enemy will. of the, no. and I don't want to make perfect the enemy of good. You know what I mean? Minarchy is a million times better than the shit we have now. So if that's the best, I'm never going to quit. I'm going to keep on preaching anarchy for as long as I I live, and I think that the you know we should never stop. But we should do that because we we have to keep pushing that envelope, right? Because if we quit, then the people who aren't as radical as us, they will drift more back towards the other end. So we have to be, you know, the, the radicals that we are so that the people that won't quite meet us there, we're dragging them as close as, as we can get them to our side so that we can we can try to maintain some sort of minarchy that's you know, better than the current status quo. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that um, I think these things are very synergistic. There's also a very synergistic uh, relationship between agorism and and uh, nullification because you kind of need like mm-hmm. so the way I the way I describe it is it's sort of like the market where you have uh, supply and demand, and agorism is almost and like non-compliance, it is the demand in the market but then the mises caucus i think and political action can be the supply where it's like once enough people aren't complying with a law that's when it's really easy to go in to your local uh county government or your or even your state government and go you know press the switch and turn that off you know what i mean like we've seen that across the country the country with drug decriminalization and we can do that with a lot of other things, I think. So um, we, we don't, it doesn't need to be an either or, uh, in my opinion. And I, and I think that 
uh, you know, these things are, are, are actually very compatible with each other. We were like, right before we were, um, before we were talking to you, we were kind of talking about like how people get under spells and just how like, like a lot of what's going on with COVID right now is just like this, um, it's like a belief system. It's like, the, it's very ritualistic and like, you can't bring people out of that in a, in a logical way. And just like listen to you right now. I'm just trying to like, kind of put those two ideas together. Like, and like, like what do you do to like try to push people in that direction? Like, like what, what, what do you notice like kind of works? Cause I feel like it's not just like, like, like the logic is there. There's the practicality, but like, that, I don't think that that's enough to get people to, pull themselves over so what we were talking about is we were talking about how people um get entranced and how like especially in the lack of or in the absence of religion they they go towards the state but even um the state has its own religion obviously right there's like uh and like people still have this mystical thinking right and so like there's still this they still have this like religious view even if it's secular as far as like good and evil and so like the way they see this whole covid regime is like i'm doing the good rituals i'm washing my hands i'm staying six feet apart i'm walking outside with my mask on i'm getting my covid vaccine you know all these things and that'll keep the covid away you know what i mean and and the dirty unvaccinated those unbelievers are over there and it's this like ritualistic kind of religious mystical thinking and how do we, and, but, but it's not just that it's just like, it, it, it is, but, and it's like their, their prophets are someone like their Pope is Dr. Fauci, you know, and whatever Dr. Fauci said, you know what I mean? It is really, it's this, so how do we in trance, how do we either break their trance or how do we make a better mystical story? You know, how do we win these people over? We're going to have to, cause we're not going to, we're not going to win them over with logic because they, they're, head is too far up their ass. You know what I mean? You, you come I, out I these agree. people with the, <laughs> so how do we, how do, what, how do we tell a better tale? How do we, you know, it's going to have to be a mystical, magical, yeah, so, magical speaking. So I think there's two, two ways to do it. One is kind of more like, uh, personal, which is that we have to be involved in our communities and build relationships with, with people and in the same way as kind of like evangelism within the church. And like, we understand that the first time, I mean, it happens occasionally, but we all kind of understand like, you know, the first time we preach the gospel to somebody, they're not going to usually like come to Christ that day, but we understand that we're planting seeds and that conversations along with experiences uh, over time can be transformative. And that has to be part of what we're doing at all times. On top of that, though, I think what, and this ties back into the Mises caucus a bit, um, I think that a lot of people aren't, I, so this is something where I agree with Andrew again, to, to, to bring him back up. Uh, a lot of people aren't ideological in their, like it, how they come to their beliefs. Like they, they don't sort out what they believe from first principles and rationalize the whole way up. A lot of people um, don't give those things a lot of thought but they go with what sounds good. A lot of people, when it comes to politics and stuff, when they pay attention, they're looking for, you know, who's winning the argument, who's the most charismatic, and, uh, you know, like, 
whose ideas are just resonating the most with me, even if I couldn't, you know, give you like a really like sound explanation on any of these issues that I, that a lot of people just aren't, frankly, aren't educated or well informed on. Um, and, and this is part of why there's utility playing the political game is that, uh, you know, if you can play that well, you can draw a lot of people in um, just by by being that. Like, and that's where, like, you know, if we get Dave Smith out in front, I mean, Dave Smith has already brought people in just by like being on the Joe Rogan podcast. You know what I mean? 100%, imagine, 100%. imagine if we get Dave Smith uh, going around to all 50 states and holding rallies and showing up on the ballot and people see him, even if they don't vote for him, they just go, huh, who's Dave Smith? And they go look him up. And you can't tell me there isn't something about like compare Dave Smith to Joe Jorgensen or Gary Johnson. I mean, it's like, it's like comparing, uh, you know, Babe Ruth to some like, you know, like, like, you know, my, my, my kid in his little league, you know what I mean? Like they're not even on the same, <laughs> on, well, on the dude, same level. <laughs> I had that conversation with somebody cause someone who was saying that like, I, it might've been Sal, but he was talking about like, no matter what they, they're going to screw us over. He's like, because I think that uh, like Gary Johnson even qualified to get, to make it to the debates and then they changed the rules last second. And my whole thought was like, because every single one of those spokesmen, I was like, that's probably a good thing. Because I don't want Gary Johnson to fucking speak for me. Like, right. <laughs> so it would be actually, it would be fucking fantastic to have Dave Smith there. Dude, every fucking time I see him on television, I, he's a goddamn bomb thrower, but he's a strategic bomb thrower. He's fu- he yeah. is, he's fucking brilliant. He's a great speaker. He is a great spokesman. I will give Dave right. Smith that. I, I, I love the guy. I got a lot of respect for now- him. Now, now, something you brought up earlier that I, I never fully addressed, but ties back into now is, well, why the Libertarian Party and not the Republican Party? And you brought up how Ron Paul did the Republican Party route. Well, there, well, there's two things. For one, uh, the technology's changed and alternative media exists. So alternative media has a lot more of a role than the mainstream media. And you don't need to... I don't know, like you don't need to be in one of the main two duopoly parties to get a lot of uh, recognition and to get in front of a lot of people. Back when Ron Paul was running, uh, alternative media didn't really exist. Uh, but the second thing is, I think that it's just kind of like you we've, we've learned from past mistakes. And like, you know, the Ron Paul movement back when Ron Paul was running was huge. But what happened was that Ron Paul stopped running. You know what I mean? And when he stopped running, he hadn't created anything that was able to carry on after him. I mean, the closest thing was maybe his son, but as much as I, I, I don't hate Rand, but, uh, Rand's not his father. Rand has not been the inspirational, uh, polarizing figure that, you know, brought a lot of people into the Liberty movement. Like Ron, like his father, Ron did. So, but what we're hoping to do through the Mises caucus is to make the libertarian party, uh, like even when Dave Smith stops running, we've brought people to the libertarian party. And then that, like, we often call ourselves the Ron Paul movement 2.0, but the difference is, is that this one doesn't have to end because it's not tied to one person running within 
a party that would just to be i mean we all know the republican party is completely owned by by corporate interests it's owned by lizard people you know what i mean like they i mean we i mean like did you see what they did to ron paul in the 2000 you know 12 primaries and stuff i mean it it was almost worse than what the democrats did to bernie sanders in 2016 i mean so like um i think the it was a mirror is, image yeah i mean yeah. It, it is about the same well so, of, we, no what they did to bernie sanders in the 2020 <laughs> Oh yeah, so because Bernie Sanders actually would have fucking won, and I think right. Ron Paul would have fucking won. Anyways, sorry. He he almost Bernie saying. almost won, and Bernie almost could have won in twenty sixteen too, and they pulled shit back then. Um, mm-hmm. I was a lot more. In, that was back when I was still a a leftist, and so I was like, yeah, watching that. That that was part of what red pilled me was going, mm-hmm. holy shit! <laughs> like <laughs> I knew it was corrupt, but oh my god, it's like. You know, just like a bunch of Republicans and like, you know, as much as Trump and Trumpers sometimes annoyed me, it's been like ever since uh, the the 2020 election and January 6th, seeing a lot of them go through the opposite where they went, wow, this election was so obviously rigged and the media was so obviously rigging and, and, and influencing the thing. And just like, you know what I mean? It's like. Uh, you know, I, I love the graphs that all the Trump people were sharing where it was like the, the blue and the red line. And then it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, so people are starting to wake up to that. And so that's a really awesome opportunity to red pill a bunch of right wingers now. Um, that's like I was a left winger who got red pilled when I saw, you know, something similar happen. But uh the problem the reason why i prefer the lp over the republican party is i just don't think you can build a culture or anything long lasting in the republican party you can with the libertarian party libertarian party has sucked for the longest time but it sucked because it's mediocre and and uh blue-pilled and lukewarm those are those are things you can fix the Republican Party sucks because it's corrupt and and it has all this baggage of the Bush administration and and the neocons and all the crap There's they a lot pulled. Of, yeah. yeah, there's some so, dark shit going on in the Republican right. Party. And and honestly, so, dude, I mean, if you want to look at the Libertarian Party, I honestly think that was part of the problem. I think that part of the problem is that there were like probably CIA agents and FBI agents that were pretending to be woke yes. jokesters and uh yes you know infiltrating yes. the party and definitely leading it astray purposefully and making we it irrelevant knew, on purpose and we yeah. we knew that the libertarian party was inept um but i don't think we were prepared the mises caucus for how corrupt it was and this past yeah. year has really exposed a lot of that but we've we've basically you know even though it's so like the the re, uh, next year in may uh, at Reno is the next national convention. And so that's going to be like when we actually take over, hopefully. But even before, like we haven't even gotten there yet. And we've almost taken the party over just because we've exposed a lot of corruption and people have been forced out of the party just through the drama that's happened in New Hampshire and stuff that's happened in Delaware too. So, um, you know, and, and, and so uh, I have hope that that will continue uh you know then then we have to preserve it and we have to be on guard to not become that which we hate and so there's always you know there's a great quote i think by thomas Sowell, which is like there are no solutions there's just trade-offs 
and you're just like it's a never ending life is a never ending series of you know you've solved a problem on to the next problem you never get done solving problems so you know it's always going to be a battle but i just think that we're going to get a lot more done long term doing that battle within the lp than the gop but i also recognize that uh you know not we're you know not everybody's going to have that same opinion and so if people are going to work in the gop it's like go on ahead and we'll form issue coalitions with you and that's completely fine i i i think you know there's exceptions to like local gop affiliates i know like in new hampshire for example where the uh, free state project is the republican party up there like the local new hampshire republican party is a a little bit of a different scenario than it is probably in most states yeah i think there's something about it being too big too the idea that the lp is still relatively small and you can infiltrate it well the republican party too it's old man i mean it was started like what i mean it started with a fucking civil war i mean that's really what their big movement was right i mean that's when it started getting dirty was with abraham lincoln i know and so there's something here where like the only the only argument that I've ever come up with for why I I almost want to try to do it in the GOP is because it would be so ironic because so like the Mises caucus like our big three things are decentralization nullification the third thing yeah. which a lot of normies don't want to hear is secession and I was like you know the GOP was founded as a party that ended a pretty big secession yeah. wouldn't it be so freaking sweet and ironic to hijack the GOP and turn it into something advocating for secession. secession. <laughs> just yeah. a big giant middle finger to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's just too big of an uphill battle to do, but it would be amazing to do that. Um, I mean, they're going to call us neo-Confederates anyways. We might, have, <laughs> might as well embrace it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, the LP is smaller, so it's easier to take over and, and hold on to once we have it. And you know, there's, there's a lot of people who are just done with the duopoly. They're done with the Democrats and done with the Republicans. And when people start to wake up to the corruption of the system, but they're not like they haven't become anarchists yet. What's the the number one spot they turn to? They go, well, let me check a third party. And if they're anywhere you know, to the right of Bernie Sanders, they're going to look at the Libertarian Party. So we want that to be at, at the very least. And, you know, it's like even if we end up being complete failures on the political arena, at least we need to get the messaging right. Because so when people how are does introduced the to the candidate get picked, someone was telling me that that the Libertarian Party is the least Democratic way to pick a fucking a presidential candidate. How does that work? Well, I mean, it might be, but who cares? Democracy is uh, sure. the god that failed, right? <laughs> but, um, I agree, but, I, but yeah, the, like, how do yeah, we? Because so, the Mises Caucus has never had a presidential candidate yet, right? We've never had, and we haven't been able to sink anyone for the for like the chair or no. Um, I, we did. Why is so that? we we? Uh, well, we were we're new, so uh, we've only had two conventions, so. This is all decided at convention, and really, we've only, uh, as far as the presidency goes, we've only existed through one presidential election so far, and that was in 2020, because it was founded back okay. in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as chair, that's decided every two years, 
and uh, no, it's just, no, it's voted it's voted upon every year. I think uh, there's a con- there's a national convention. No, is it every year? Every I think it's every two years. There's a national convention, and we've existed through two. And there's a next the next one's coming up next year. The first one in the same place. No, it rotates around the country. It rotates around the country. Uh, How close do you guys get to Oregon? I want to (laughs) go. Well, the next one's in Reno, so I mean that's not not too far. Too far, I don't think. Um, The 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 last one was in uh, where was the last one? The last one was. uh, was it in Florida? Uh, Florida, yeah. So that was yeah, yeah. probably that would have been harder for you. But uh, this next one's in Reno. But uh, yeah, so every two years we have a national convention. Well, we've only we've only existed through two, and the first one we were like brand new, and we might have had like a hundred members. The last one was close, and honestly, some of those like you know CIA agents that you referred mm-hmm. to, that's what I was bit of meddling hand in making sure that we didn't win but as far as i can tell and i don't like to count my my chickens before they hatch but as far as i can tell uh you know uh, you know way in advance i think we're gonna show up to reno and we're gonna like have the room and i i think that there's no way they're gonna get out of get get out of that one i really think that we're gonna this is gonna uh, be the year well one white pill i guess you could say is i've definitely you and I both uh, are at least lurkers in their fake in the fakeitarian group, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm more of a lurker than you are. You actually participate with those psychos. Uh, I, I, I've stopped though. I mean, the last two <laughs> months, I, I, uh, I, 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 it was a filthy habit. It was like, you know, it was like it was like quitting porn. It was like I have to stop. Like my wife, it was like, don't let me post in this group. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to kink shame, but that was definitely some masochism over there. Where you're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I've seen that a lot of them have quit the Libertarian Party. They've given up yeah. because they were kind of driven out. And the, the, the majority of those people, they were they actually were the majority of your guys's enemies i would say or whatever you want to call them they were your opponents yeah they were the well yeah and then the what's prague, funny is the prague, yeah, the prague or, yep what's yeah. funny then is so there's still there's still a pretty sizable portion of the party who is uncaucused and they're like the the middle but they've mostly over the past six months started to really shift towards we're going to work with the mises caucus because they've seen all the corruption and they go oh wow this is bad and they're like, hey, we don't agree with the Mises caucus on everything, but um, but uh, this shit, we're not about that. They're not about the corruption. They're not about, you know, uh, you know, all the shady crap they pulled in New Hampshire, and then the way that they went after the secretary Karen Ann Harlos and uh, the stuff that what happened, happened in with Delaware. That? Is, is Karen Ann still in? Did she, or did she get kicked out? What the, happened? The, the, so she got kicked out. She appealed it to the judicial committee and the judicial committee had a hearing and we're waiting on their decision to be announced, which should be soon. Uh, some people okay. have told me they already know what the result is, but I haven't heard, I haven't heard yet. So it, it, okay. it could be that uh, by the time this episode airs that maybe everyone's heard, but I don't think that it's been announced yet. Interesting. Okay. Uh, she's a nice lady. I think we're friends on Facebook. I hope she. Oh, yeah, Karen, gets Karen's that. awesome. I mean, she's another Christian anarchist. I've had her on my podcast too. 
So I might have to reach out to her at some point. Uh, she's definitely an interesting. She seems like a spunky, fun lady. I, oh yeah, I haven't had she too can many like to, personal uh... interactions, but yeah, yeah, she can definitely go. She can definitely speak to at least those those CIA folks that we're talking about. Oh yeah, those, she can... <laughs> that opposition. She... She can also go into the history of the Libertarian Party because she knows a lot more That's than I do. That's um, yeah. fascinating. But she she can she can explain the founding and how it was like really and you know she she's joined the Mises Caucus because she's like you guys are actually the true libertarians because what you're preaching is what the founders preached. It's what we were supposed to be and we've lost our way and we have to get back to it. So. Well, Jacob, we're rounding up here on about an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, I can hear my baby crying in the background. <laughs> I, I just had a little one. Hey, your wife is, did you say your wife is pregnant right now? Yeah, she's expecting in May. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Yep, that'll be That's number awesome. four. Do you guys, do you guys know the sex or anything? <laughs> not or yet. We're not... not actually find out next week, I think. so. Awesome, man. That, that's a fucking beautiful time. Uh, my little guy, he's a month and a half on Monday. I think he's a month and a half on Monday. So awesome. Yeah. Uh, Kids are the best. They are, man. Uh, we appreciate your time. We appreciate having you on. Uh, we'll definitely have to have you back. It's been a long time coming. We should have had you on a long time ago. No, I was happy. I, I, <laughs> I was glad to come on and uh, talk. I feel like it was a, a great conversation. So, uh, um, yeah, let's do it again sometime. Uh, any last minute plugs, anything you want to throw out there? Um, like I said, before, at the beginning, it's, uh, Daniel three biblical anarchy. Um, so the website is Daniel three eighteen.com. Um, uh, the podcast, if you, I mean, it's on YouTube, uh, and then also on any podcatcher. So like Apple podcasts, Spotify, all that. If you just search Daniel three biblical anarchy, I should pop up pretty easily. Um, you can also find it through the website. And then um, I'm mostly active on Twitter these days. I still have a Facebook and use it, but I don't use it as much as Twitter. If you want to follow me at Twitter, it's at Biblical Anarchy. And uh, that's pretty much it. If you want to learn more about the Mises Caucus, since we talked about that, uh, TakeHumanAction.com is the Mises Caucus website. Um, and if you, you could reach out to me to talk about that as well. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, awesome, man. I think you were a great, I think you're a great fucking spokesman for the Mises caucus. Anybody that, uh, yeah, has been convinced by Daniel, please reach out to him. Daniel's a very friendly, awesome guy. Uh, thanks, man. We appreciate you. Yep. Thanks for having me on. All right. Later, brother. <laughs>